Once again, it's our privilege now to come together and to take God's Word and open it up. So I'm going to encourage you to do so with me at this time. Today we will finish our consideration that we've been going on for the last three weeks of Isaiah chapter 55. I'm going to go ahead and read this chapter and then pray and then we'll consider it together. So listen as I read God's Word. Isaiah 55. Come, everyone who thirsts, come to the waters. And he who has no money, come, buy and eat. Come, buy wine and milk without money and without price. Why do you spend your money for that which is not bread and your labor for that which does not satisfy? Listen diligently to me. And eat what is good and delight yourselves in rich food. Incline your ear and come to me. Hear that your soul may live. And I will make with you an everlasting covenant. My sure, steadfast, sure love for David. Behold, I made him a witness to the people, a leader and commander for the peoples. Behold, a nation, or you shall call a nation that you do not know. And a nation that did not know you shall run to you. Because of the Lord your God and of the Holy One of Israel, for He has glorified you. Verse 6. Seek the Lord while He may be found. Call upon Him while He is near. Let the wicked forsake His way and the unrighteous man His thoughts. And let him return to the Lord that He may have compassion on him. And to our God, for He will abundantly pardon. For my thoughts are not your thoughts, neither are my ways Your ways, declares the Lord. For as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways, and my thoughts than your thoughts. For as the rain and the snow come down from heaven, and do not return there, but water the earth, making it bring forth and sprout, giving seed to the sower and bread to the eater, so shall my word be that goes forth from my mouth. It shall not return to me empty. But it shall accomplish that which I purpose and shall succeed in the thing for which I sent it. For you shall go out in joy and be led forth in peace. And the mountains and the hills before you shall break forth into singing. And the trees of the field shall clap their hands. Instead of thorns shall come up the cypress. Instead of the briar shall come up the myrtle. And it shall make a name for the Lord, an everlasting sign that shall not be cut off. Let's pray. Lord, once again this morning, as we come here, we are thankful for this privilege and we do not take it for granted. We're well aware that throughout the world and even throughout our country this day, uh, many of your people and many of your churches are, are not assembling. We do not take lightly the unique privilege that you've granted for us and we thank you that we can be here together, lifting our voices together, singing your praises together, hearing your word together. God, may you be pleased by your spirit to work powerfully through your word within us at this time. I ask you, O God, grant for me to speak your word faithfully and clearly. Give those who have assembled today ears to hear, Lord, give them, grant them a degree of attentiveness, and understanding. Lord, as we consider your word and and impart the greatness of your power and purposes 
We pray that you would encourage our hearts today. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Now, when we started this chapter recently, we we took up and noted that this chapter begins with a call to the thirsty and hungry and calling them to something beyond the food and the things of this world, but showing that there is a hunger and thirst for righteousness. There is a, a spiritual desire and design in the hearts of God's people. Then we saw that there was also a call to listen and to learn, to hear what the scriptures say and to heed them followed by a call to repent and return. These, they were told, look, repent while the Lord is near. And we saw here is the reality. God, the repentance is declared, but there will come a time that is too late. It is appointed for man once to die, and after that, the judgment. Then we, we, we considered last week something of that, what I would call, uh, absolute uh, contrasting comparison between man's ways and thoughts and God's ways and thoughts. And how they're absolutely incompatible. And one of the ways that we so oft err is because we naturally tend to think of God in human terms we tend to assume that his way of dealing and thinking and acting will somehow be like ours. And those presumptions, I hope we were able to absolutely pull those to pieces last week and, and sit us humbly and say, look, God alone is God. He does as he pleases in the highest of heaven, at the inhabitants of the earth, the sea, and in all deeps. And we in the midst of us do not cry out in complaint, need not struggle in doubt, but with uplifted arms we exalt our God who reigns on high. Amen? Well, as we move into this next section, it kind of continues to build on that, that um, climactic considerations of a comparison, but now it moves on further. And there is a comparison involved here as well, because it's going to speak about how God always accomplishes His purposes and how His word and will are at all times and all places successful, which will not be the case with you and I. I may fix a plan or a purpose, but can I be sure to make that happen? We live in a world with all kinds of those promises. Uh, people may have even said in the midst of what's going on recently with an overconfidence in themselves and circumstances, don't worry, uh, I've got a flight tomorrow, I'll be home in a few days. Only to find out flights are canceled they are stranded, and maybe they even spoke to their beloved children and said, hey, don't you worry, I promise I'll be there by Friday night. But the promise is made, do we have the power to be sure our promise will become reality? No, we can even endeavor to do our best, and maybe we would be wiser to word it that way, I'm going to do everything within my power to be there by Friday night. But see, what happens is uh, the way that we use language and the way that we speak in this world often hints at the delusion that we have the power. 
And that's not the case. And I want us to be well aware of that. But on the other side, let us not miss this. God absolutely has the power. And please note this. It's not that he has the power, but is not exercising it. It's his ways are different than ours. His thought is different than ours. So his purpose and plan is different than ours. So he not only has the power, but he is powerfully working out his purposes at all times. In every place. Of which, even now, the world would say, well, aren't things a little out of hand right now? Well, they may be out of your hand. Maybe out of the government's hand. Maybe out of the hospital's hand. Whatever. It is not out of God's hand. This may have been something that we even announce and say, look, this is... uh, No one could have prepared for this. We've never faced anything quite like this and so on. And we speak about our unpreparedness simply because who would have foreseen it would be like this? Well, yes. How long has God known this would happen in the world? And the answer always to that peculiar question is, He has always known. Because God doesn't like us come to know. He doesn't learn. He knows. Because He is not like us. And when we come to this section of Scripture here, again, I want to just read it for us as we begin to lay it out. And it starts Interestingly, and we're going to spend a little bit of time looking at that section. It says this, For as the rain and snow come down from heaven, and do not return there, but water the earth, making it bring forth and sprout, giving seed to the sower and bread to the eater, and then it will carry on, so shall his word be. But I want us to note this. Sometimes we start to think, Ah, the scriptures here are using a common, ordinary analogy. We're familiar with rain and snow. And so by giving us an analogy of rain and snow, it can then give us an analogy of how God's word accomplishes his purposes. But I want us to go just a little bit deeper than that and understand this. The rain and snow itself does not just happen. The rain and snow itself that's used as the example is that which is designed by God, sent by God, and accomplishes God's purpose. And so in the same way, so does His Word. So it's not a, 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 an analogy of nature to give an analogy of the accomplishment of God's Word. It's an analogy of God accomplishing His purposes in nature. And God accomplishing His purposes in His Word. Help us to not be those people who would speak about nature and even the phrasings we use. That was a natural disaster. You know, generally, disaster itself seems rather unnatural. You know? And again, is it merely the result of nature? Or is there not one who's divine over all? 
And indeed, we know there is. And for that, uh, many of us in the church here, we do a, a Bible reading program, which is McShane's. And recently, we've read through the book of Job, which has such rich things as you come to the end of it. The three friends of Job have been sharing their thoughts and opinions all along about who God is and how he acts. And for the most part, in their mind, all they can conceive of God as being is sort of a tit-for-tat God. You do this, you get that, boom, 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 and that's how we know everything. They weren't understanding the mercy of God. They weren't grasping the long-suffering patience of God. They weren't grasping also God's peculiar purposes that are even in the sufferings of His people. That even would ultimately entail the suffering of His own Son. They couldn't, they couldn't fathom that, so they're throwing all that out. And, and Job is also struggling uh, to understand these things. And then un, somewhat under their influence and hearing these things over and over again, Job begins, begins to say, well, what's going on with me isn't right. I haven't done anything specifically deserving of specifically what's going on. And he begins to struggle. And then finally the young man, Elihu, who's gathered among them, stirred up by the Spirit of God, as he says in the beginning of the chapter that he's speaking in, begins to unfold a few things. And so let me read a few of those things to remind us of what the Scripture says concerning God, the one who is sovereign over the storms, the rain, the wind, and everything. Also, often read these things, if you would. When you read through Jonah, you see things like the Lord hurled a wind, Love that kind of phrasing because it reminds us it didn't just become windy. But all of those things are at God's design. We even remember when the disciples got into a boat uh, to go across that the wind was hard against them. The specific direction and so they were hindered from reaching all the way across that delayed them such that they would come to meet with Christ in the middle of the sea as he's walking on the water displaying his power and then he would get into the boat and as he did the storm would cease and the boat would immediately be at the shore. You think what? What manner of man is this? Even as that time he woke and rebuked the storm what manner of man is this that the wind and the waves obey him excellent question to which we by the grace of God know the answer this is the very son of God through whom everything was made that was made listen to what it says as, as we do find ourselves down to Job 26 speaking of God it says he stretches out the north over the void and hangs the earth on nothing. Now again, without getting too overly scientific, please note this, at this particular time in history, there had not been Sputnik, there had not been Apollo missions, there was no NASA, you get what I'm saying? No space travel. No satellites, no nothing. So the fact that the earth is a globe that sits suspended in nothingness. Nobody knew that. Well, except the very one who created it that way. 
No one had ever conceived of. That's why all the, you go back, all the conceptions of the earth were oft so confused. But here the scripture speaks uh, so powerfully. Verse 8, he binds up the waters in thick clouds and the cloud is not split open under them. The, the simple phrasing, again, often in poetic language, the Hebrew comes across, which means, and even now, we've got one of our, one of our dear believers uh, in the church in Mauritius, has worked for years in the meteorological department, had retired, and then presently they brought him back on for one more year as a director. And here's the challenge. You can see that the clouds are loaded up. You can see that they should be raining. And even now, generally, it will be said this. There is a 40% chance of rain. A 60% chance of rain. Now, every once in a while, I look at my phone and it says 100% chance. Do you ever see that? And sometimes during 100%, I walk outside and I don't see a drip. Sometimes during 40, I walk outside and it's pouring. And I begin to think this. They don't really know. And you know what my dear brother said? They don't really know. <laughs> they make valid predictions as best they can on the basis of the weather patterns and otherwise, but it is not precise. It is always an estimate of forms. And again, because here's, here is it. It's not even the cloud's decision when it splits. God is the one who loads it up with water, and God's the one who opens it up to let loose. Still reading, it says this in verse 9, Job 26. He covers the face of the full moon and spreads clouds over it. He has inscribed a circle on the face of the waters at the boundary between light and dark. Even that kind of phrasing is astounding. That the sun is on one particular side of the globe and the way that it shines is in such a way that you can actually draw a circle that separates the light and the dark on the globe. If you ever fly on a plane, at times you can look at the My Journey section of it, if you're doing an international flight, and it will show you, and you'll often see a line that shows the difference between where it's light and where it's dark. Now listen... These are things that we've learned now over the years through satellites and observances. The scripture is declaring these things in the book of Job, which we deem likely the most ancient of all of them. And it's declaring things that we determined centuries later to be scientific fact. Have you ever been baffled by that? Well, how did Job know those things without satellites and without the Hubble telescope and with how did Job know these things well or in this chapter how did Elihu know these things and the answer is he didn't know them by his own learning he says he's speaking with a wisdom given him of God and he continues to unfold it so beautifully Job 26 verse 14 it says, uh, uh, speaking of all these powerful things, the creating, the hanging of the earth, the binding of waters and the clouds, the splitting of them. Verse 14 says, behold, these things are the outskirts of his ways 
and how small a whisper of him do we hear. But the thunder of his power, who can understand? Wait a second. That he hangs the earth on nothing. <laughs> that he sets the sun in such a way that there is a circle marking out light from darkness. That he fills up the clouds with water that then will cause the rain. You're saying, but these things that still today no man can do. These are but a whisper. These are in a sense but little things of God. If these are the little things of God, I want to ask you, what are the big? If these are the things that are but a whisper, the outskirts, what is the center? And I guess the answer would be, it's too big for us to know. Maybe with the psalmist we would say such things are too wonderful for us to understand. Right? But listen to what it says later in Job 36. Listen, in Job 36 it says this. Um, he draws up, verse 27. He draws up the drops of water and they distill in, uh, mist in the rain. Uh, which the sky pours down and drops on mankind abundantly. Can anyone understand the spreading of the clouds, the thundering of his pavilion? Behold, he scatters the lightning about him and covers the roots of the sea. Listen to what verse 31. Verse, for by these he judges people and he gives food in abundance. Verse 32, he covers uh, his hand with the lightning and commands it to strike at the mark. So let me just unpack this little phrase here for you, what we've seen here in chapter 36. It's saying this, um, when God, God is the one who sends the rain, and what he's accomplishing in any given rain scenario is known to him. Sometimes it's for judgment, and it might come in an abundance of flooding and an abundance of loss. But at other times, it comes in just that right measure that nourishes the earth, that causes it to be able to drink up what is necessary, that it produces the fruits and grains that are necessary for life and harvest. But God is working it. And even the lightning, that, that where it specifically hits, the scriptures wanting us to understand, the mark that it hits is by his command. Nothing by random. Job 37 on down. Uh, verse 5 through 7. God thunders wondrously with his voice. He does great things that we cannot comprehend. For to the snow, he says, fall on the earth. Likewise to the downpour, his mighty downpour. He seals up the hand of every man that all men whom he made may know it. I will tell you this, in the mercies of God, there was a time that my family found itself in the nation of Mauritius, which some of you know is an island nation on the other side of the world near to Madagascar. A tiny little country. And in that country, we were there when it was hit by a cyclone. Uh, a cyclone is what we, we refer to here as tornadoes, right? 
hurricanes. There we go. And listen, when it reaches a certain category level, a certain stage level, at the lower stages, it's be careful when you go outside. But there's a certain point that says, don't go outside. Even in that particular nation, at this point, all car insurance and homeowner's insurance is non-binding. Because the reality is, there is nothing we can do. We have absolutely no power over this, and they're located in a place where it happens with a degree of regularity. And so, here, there, and while we were there, it was astounding to see it. We're looking out, out, out the sliding window of the apartment that we're staying in, and, and we're watching trees. And these trees are, are laying all the way almost to the ground as the wind blows. We're watching uh, satellite dishes being hurled from the tops of houses, you know, far more than any disc is hurled in the Olympics. Amazing, uh, damaging, and, and then uh, again the other way. And you think you're safe inside, but the wind is such that it's pushing the windows so severely that the water is creeping around through the windows, such that before you know it, you're walking in water deep in the place. And, and everybody, everywhere, is absolutely helpless. They're stopped and stunned and can't really do a thing until it passes. And that's the amazing thing. One way. And then you're in the eye of the storm and there's a moment of calm. And then suddenly the tree that was this way is now laying the other direction. And the rain is continuing to blow and everything has swapped directions. And you're thinking, my goodness, what power, what relentless, devastating power. And that's but a whisper. And so I, when, when I read Job and I, and I think, what a blessing that we had the opportunity to look out and experience that. Uh, the, 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 the overwhelming impotence that comes upon you in that and you realize that in your absolute impotence there is a divine potentate a divine sovereign who is in all these things and listen further in job 37 beginning in verse 11 he loads the thick clouds with moisture the clouds around by guidance at the phrasing because we now see things through stars and Doppler, all these things that news where you see turn round and around cycling. Well, how did you know that? it to them once. One of the lovely things about this is it, it's been fun. It, even as, as our friend Prem, uh, they, they track. And then they where it's going. <laughs> it's pretty hilarious. Keep revising it. We predicted it was going this way, but it's this way. We predicted 
Now it's going to hit us at this time. But it sped up. Oh, stop. Coming again. Now, so often predictive models are, let's revise it now. Let's revise it now. Such if I were a weatherman, it would be more like this. I step outside. It's raining. It's sunny. It's cloudy. Well, just what I see at that moment. Because that's the only thing that I would know for sure. But remember, the storm is at his guidance. And further, it says, listen, to accomplish all that he commands them on the face of the habitable earth. So it speaks of his guidance, his commands. And then verse 13, whether for correction or for the land or for love or kindness or mercy, he causes it to happen. Isn't that an interesting phrase? So we will say to ourselves, what is the purpose in this storm? And we may not know it, but what's beautiful for us to see, even in this, God, in all that he does, in all that he commands, which is everything, he has his perfect purposes. Sometimes it may be to water the land. Sometimes it may be to bring judgment upon man. Sometimes it may be a mercy or a kindness spelling what had been a drought. But this, what his purpose is, is known to him. So be careful. Whenever anything unfolds, we can with confidence say, God has a purpose. And God's purpose is all wise and perfect. And I trust him. But be careful to be the guy who jumps forward and say, let me tell you what is God's purpose in this. We don't know if it is for love. We don't know if it is for discipline. We don't know if it is uh, for mercy, uh, for the land. God's purposes are known to him until he reveals them. And surely, in the majesty of God, he has the capacity to accomplish multiple purposes within a single storm. And so uh, what, what often breaks my heart is even as believers, we'll spend a lot of time trying to determine what are God's purposes and then maybe pointing fingers at others. You're the reason this is happening and this is because... And, and there may be validity to it. I don't know. There may not be. The secret things belong to God. But the revealed things belong to us and our children that we may keep them, Deuteronomy 29, 29. So what worries me is that oft-time believers spend so much time trying to figure out the secret purposes of God that they don't take in and live out the clearly revealed purposes of God. Why he's doing this is known to him. What he would have you do. Are you about that? Well, uh, right now I'm busy trying to figure out why he's doing this. What? <laughs> you don't, and, and, and maybe that seems to excuse us or exonerate us, we feel at times. Let it not be God. But we can have this confidence. God has his purposes, and he will accomplish his purposes. Hear this, Job 37, 14. Oh, Job, stop and consider the wondrous works of God. 
Do you know how God lays his command upon them and causes the lightning to shine? And it goes on then with all those, do you know? Do you know? Do you? Do you? Have you? To which Job just, you can see him shrinking and shrinking and shrinking until finally he says, I put my hand over my mouth. Psalm 148, and this is the last we see of the rain and the snow section. Psalm 148, verse 7 and 8 says, Praise the Lord, the God of the earth, you great uh, sea creatures in all deeps, fire and hail, snow and mist, stormy wind, fulfilling his word. So when Isaiah says, as the rain and snow come down and they accomplish their purpose, we get to go back to how I opened a little earlier. The rain and snow accomplish whose purpose? God's. And who sent them? God. And God who not only sends the rain and sends the snow and accomplishes His purpose through them is also the one who sends His word. And that's where we take up next. It says this, so, verse 11, Isaiah 55, 11, so shall His or my word be that goes forth from my mouth. It shall not return to me empty or void, but shall accomplish that which I purpose and shall succeed in the thing for which I sent it. That's powerful, isn't it? But part of the power is in recognizing it will succeed in what I have purposed. You know. So listen, someone goes somewhere and they preach the gospel. And as a result of that gospel preaching, a riot breaks out. And the man who preached it is run from town. Has he failed? Has the word of God failed? And many of you are saying, no, because that happened to Paul the apostle. Well, there's another time where he preached the gospel and they didn't just run him from town. They remember, they picked up stoned him. the preacher ought to be protected, right? I mean, that, that's the human perspective. We get that, right? But what was the purpose of God? To allow Paul to suffer that degree of what I imagine was very, very unpleasant. And so, again, we have to step back and say, wait a second. Someone says, well, if I was God, I would never allow that to happen to any of my if I was God, I would never allow any of my children to go hungry. I would never allow any believers to cancer. I, if I, well, listen, you're not. I'm not. And, and, and the reason why you see a, a disparity, a difference between what you would do and what he is doing is his ways are not your ways. And his thoughts are not your thoughts as high as the heavens above the earth. And so this is the problem. And the scary thing is, we start to say, yeah, they are different. I think my way would be better. But it, but it wouldn't be 
better because God's way accomplishes His purpose, which eternally we will come to know is the most glorious purpose. Because note this, 1 Corinthians reminds us of this in chapter 13. Now we know in part, and then we shall know fully. And here we are with the little bitty part, always thinking we have a better plan. When we really contemplate it, how ridiculous it seems. Let me get into a few verses here. Job, at the end of all that, basically says this in Job 42, 2. I know that you can do all things and that no purpose of yours can be thwarted. Now, I know we don't use the word thwarted very often. Beautiful word, T-H-W. Don't have a lot of words that start like that. But that means no, no purpose of yours can be what? Stopped, altered, hindered, impeded in any way at all. Let me state it positively. God's purposes always perfectly prevail. Amen? Yes. Job sits back and recognizes that, and he comes to realize, all right, well, God has some purpose in what I faced, some purpose in all of this pain. You know what? He's going to accomplish his purpose. I got to stop. Cover my mouth. No more of this. In Isaiah chapter 46, we have those glorious words of Scripture speaking of God as the one who declares the end from the beginning and from ancient times the things not yet done. And says these beautiful words, my counsel, which is, in a sense, what I have decided and determined. My counsel shall stand, and I will accomplish all my purpose. How much of your purpose, O oh God? All my purpose. No mistakes, nothing left out. There's no occasion in which the enemy has the victory. Note this. Did not the enemy think that he was achieving his greatest victory as Christ was being crucified? <laughs> That's why he entered into Judas, isn't it? Worked to get him betrayed. Worked that, that Christ might suffer on the cross. And yet the scriptures reveal to us that that moment the enemy deceivedly and confusedly, ignorantly and foolishly, I say such of the devil, as he thought he was accomplishing his greatest victory in the history of creation. What does the scripture say? Actually, Christ was triumphing over principalities and powers of the air. It was one of the most astounding victories that has taken place in the history of mankind. Again, to this point, the most astounding victory. Still more displays of glory and victory are yet to come, and we eagerly long and wait for that, don't we? But so definitive in, in the very act that the devil considered to be his most significant defeat of God's purposes, he accomplished what God had determined 
beforehand. Exactly. Amen? And it goes on to say, still here in Isaiah, just of the details of it, verse 11, Isaiah 46, calling a bird of prey from the east. And someone would say, all right, why is that in there? God accomplishes all of his purposes, calling a bird of prey from the east. So a little bird comes from the east that's going to catch a mouse. What does that have to do with me? I mean, how in the world would that affect my life, what a bird does or does not do? And again, I say, thank you for how we always make it about how does that affect me. <laughs> we always make it somehow about us. Well, listen, what it says is this. Even those things that seem insignificant to history. I mean, nobody's keeping a history book of how many birds of prey have ever migrated from the east that I necessarily know of insignificant things who's in control of those seeming insignificant things god well yeah god can control the birds and get them to do what he wants when he wants but not men we are free to determine our own destiny and do as we will really really well god not only calls a bird but what does it say i'm still in isaiah 46 now verse 11 a man of my counsel from a far country. So listen, as easily as God can get a bird to do what he wants him to do, so also God can get a man to do what he wants him to do. The will of God. God help the world in which we live that's always exalting the will of man when we exalt and glory sovereign powerful, unstoppable will of God. That verse ends by saying, I have spoken, God says, I will bring it to pass. I have purposed, I will do it. 14 verse 24 says, the Lord of hosts says, I, as I have planned, so so I mean, I could go on and on with a bunch of verses that say the same thing, but I'm hoping you get it. The whole earth. I don't think we're quite understanding the scope of God's plans. It says this in Isaiah because Isaiah, in the old covenant days, they too often thought that God's purposes and plans were limited for their nation and their people. But no, God has purpose concerning the whole earth. And so if you read through, you'll see uh, here is an oracle or a proclamation to Babylon. Here is an oracle, a proclamation to Cush, to Egypt. Wait a second. What is God doing interfering over there? They have their own gods. Yeah, their gods aren't gods. Their gods are, are, are false gods, the work of men's hands, the work of men's imaginations. There is actually only one God, and He is the one who reigns over all. Again, we see how all these pieces so wonderfully come together. Well, I understand that when it comes to the good things. But what about the bad things? Don't the bad things sneak up on God? Well, nothing sneaks up on God. It says this in Proverbs 16, 4. The Lord has made everything for its purpose. 
even the wicked for the day of trouble. Wait, God has a designed plan and purpose even for the wicked? Yes. Some people in their revisioning of of the Christian faith uh, in the past, and hopefully not today, or hopefully it will stop, seem to act like all the good that's going on in the world, God is doing that. When something bad breaks out or someone does evil, then uh, 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 that the devil's got got control of, and God's going to try to wrestle it back, but for now, uh, missed it. No, no, no. Even the wicked are part of God's purpose for the day of trouble. They will receive due judgment for deeds done in the body. And, And the man says, but I don't understand why. Yeah, you're not expected to. That's why we keep saying he is incomprehensible, his ways, who can understand them. But see, we live in a world in which the moment it gets beyond understanding concerning our human judgments, we begin to say, I don't really want a God like that. No, I, 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 I want a different God. You don't get to choose your God. There is one God, and He's revealed Himself. And it's scary when people who, who say they believe in the God of the Bible will read certain verses and saying, well, not that verse. You know, well, not that passage. I, 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 uh, I love the John 3.16 God. Wait a second here. The John, the, the John 3.16 God is also the Lamentations 3.38 God. We're reminded in Ecclesiastes of these powerful words in verse 13 and following. Consider the work of God. Who can make straight what he has made crooked? Wait a second. You're saying some things he made crooked? Yes. In the day of prosperity, be joyful. And in the day of adversity, consider. God has made the one as well as the other. Wait a second. So God's the one in control of the day of prosperity? And God's the one in control of the day of adversity? Wow, Ecclesiastes, as it unfolds this in chapter 7, verse 14, further says this. God has made one as well as the other so that man may not find out anything that will be after him. In other words, you can't figure it out. So learn to trust God. We're reminded of this even as we get personal for just a moment. Listen, Job says this in verse 14, in a day where people are so nervous and so uncertain, and certainly we don't want to be unwise and reckless for sure, but we remember these words that uh, are spoken truly and accurately by Job. It says, since, speaking of men, his days are determined and the number of his months is with you and you have appointed his limits that he cannot pass. As it says in, in, in Psalm 139, you, verse 16 and following, you, you form my unformed substance, and in your book were written every one of them the days that were formed for me when as yet none of them were. 
So know this. Is there anything I can do? God having determined in his perfect wisdom before creation the number of days allotted to me. What can I do to reduce that number? What can I do to increase that? Now, I get it. We're cynical humans. So the moment you tell someone, what can you do to reduce that number? So, you know, nothing. Well, yeah, I can. I could jump off a cliff. Well, you could, but in eternity, you, you, you would find out you jumped off the cliff on the last day of your allotted number. You know, he had so allotted that your death would be by your own foolishness. But nonetheless, you haven't reduced the number of days. You, we, even by our dimness, don't somehow take God by surprise. And so we, so we might say, as maybe Jesus once did in Matthew 6, 27, which of you, by being anxious, can add a single span, a single hour to his own life? Which of us? And so we trust in God. We're, we remember as we come forward, and we talked about calling a bird of prey, we're, we don't need to fear those who can kill the soul, whether it's men or whether it's uh, anything. Listen to what it says in verse uh, 29. Are not two sparrows sold for a penny? Matthew 10. And not one of them will fall to the ground apart from your father. Not even an absolutely worthless little birdie ever falls and dies apart from God. And then it says, listen, fear not. You are more valuable than many sparrows. So we need not fear. But also it even says this in verse 31, even the number of our hairs are numbered. Which again speaks of the precision of God's personal involvement with us because the specific number of anyone's given hairs is changing even throughout a single day. It is at one point and then some are falling out and when you brush your hair, some are in the brush and so on. But, and again, I've often said this, few of us, I don't say none anymore, but few of us know the number of hairs on our head. But God does. And so it's just astounding how personal it is. And even personal with regard to his purpose, listen to what it says in Job 23. He is unchangeable. Verse 13. Who can turn him back? What he desires, he does. For he will complete what he appoints for me. I actually have a little bit more to unpack here. So we are going to have a surprise part four next week. All right, so the three-part series became four, which is, which is further evidence that a man plans, and uh, yep, I did not accomplish my purposes, but we want to glory in all of God's purposes, and so we've been able to just spend a lot of time today just resting in our great king, sovereign over the storms, the wind, the rain, and the weather. Sovereign over all seasons and all circumstances, absolutely accomplishing all that he has purposed at all times in all places, so that we, his people, stand not in fear. We stand with absolute confidence in the goodness of God, in the glorious purposes of God, and we rest in his wisdom as we acknowledge 
our limits. Our limits. Should I go lower? Our limits. Let's pray. Lord, what a, what a privilege it is to be your people. And I thank you that you granted us to be able to gather this day. Lord, we know that we, we live in a world which is in the grips of fear and, and not unreasonably so. We know that with regard to uh, those in sin, the fear of death is debilitating. But Lord, we thank you that for those of us who are in Christ, there is no fear of death. It is the hope of glory, Christ in us. And so, Lord, we just thank you that in the midst of these times that, that we can uh, have hope, that we can have joy and not be in fear. Lord, we look back to, to history and see various times that you have purposed particular circumstances that have brought at times astounding global devastation, at times regional loss and suffering, at times tremendous progress and abundance. But this we say with absolute confidence, our times are in your hands. And Lord, we are so thankful that they are there and the confidence that, that we have. Lord, we pray that this would provide for us, your people, uh, greater opportunities and conversations with those who do not know you to speak of a hope that transcends death and the grave, to speak of one who has victory over death and the grave, that we might declare the excellencies of Christ our Savior. Lord, we pray that even as we uh, uh, move forward, we do want to be respectful of people's fears, and we certainly don't want to uh, uh, be irresponsible but, Lord, we, we grant that you would help us to live uh, with peace in your perfect wisdom and purposes. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.